This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. We'll switch gears and transition to football. Giants are going to be back at it on Sunday evening as they host the Bengals. Jets will take on the Atlanta Falcons Monday night at MetLife Stadium. They'll continue scrimmaging with them over the, uh, the next couple of days there at Florham Park. And joining me now, the... Football insider for SNY. It's my good pal, Connor Hughes, who's nice enough to join us on the program. Connor, thanks for hopping on. How are things, my friend? No problem, man. The Dan Gross show. This is, you're, getting, you're getting up there, man. This is pretty fancy now. Well, you know, hey, we're, we're doing our best. We're trying to fool people as long as we possibly <laughs> can. You know how it is. But thanks for hopping on. It's always good to well, catch up. Um, you were out of Florham Park today. Little Jets-Falcons scrimmage. Day one of two there. Uh, how did it look? Good man. I, I actually was, you know, talking a little bit about this on uh, on SMY afterwards because when I was sitting there watching the practice, man, and and look, and anyone who knows me and, and knows the way that I cover the Jets, you know, they they know I'm I'm not afraid to to throw punches when I see punches are, are warranted and, and need to be thrown. You know, I'm not I'm not somebody that's right. that blow up this team for for any which way. But sitting there watching practice, I, I honestly couldn't help but think back to the joint practices that they had last year against the Packers and, and then the ones that they had against the Eagles. And obviously, look, the Packers are a top-five team in the NFL, and the Eagles were a team that made the playoffs. But last year, I mean, it, it was almost like the Jets were playing a different sport. I mean, it was like they didn't even deserve to, to be on the field with those two teams. And to, to think back to then and then transition to a year later to where they are now, uh, I understand that, that the Falcons are not the Packers. I understand that they're probably not the Eagles. But the Jets really had their way with them throughout the course of, of that first practice. I mean, offensively, which is where I was specifically spending time, they moved their way up and down the field, and that was with Joe Flacco under center. Elijah Moore was open almost every play. Corey Davis was making plays. Garrett Wilson made a really nice third-down grab. They kept the pass rush off of Joe Flacco. And on the other side, when I was following guys like Andy Vasquez and Zach Rosenblatt who were watching over there, Sauce Gardner's got a pick. Jermaine Johnson's got a sack. Carl Lawson's got a sack. I mean, the way that the Jets have infused this roster with talent, which is a testament and credit to Joe Douglas over the last year, I think we always thought that the team was better this year than last, but actually seeing them practice against another ball club for the first time, it really did hammer that home. No doubt about it. And look, it is just practice. It doesn't mean anything, right? But again, last year in October, these two teams met in London, and it was the Falcons who had the better play and really kind of controlled that football game. So, hey, the infusion of talent, you hope that it makes that type of a difference. Quarterback, certainly that's going to be the big question going into the season. Look, we don't know if, if number two is going to be ready to go week one. I, I would, you know, be skeptical just as of this minute because I think that they're probably going to be overly cautious. But if it is Joe Flacco, how do you think he would fare here if, indeed, it's just a stopgap proposition, say, one or two games? Yeah, look, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you, man. I, I think with, with Joe Flacco, the one thing that we have seen and is abundantly clear to this point is that he can still throw the football. I mean, I, I don't think that, that anybody would doubt or hesitate to, to say that in the slightest. He, he absolutely is still a player who can drop back and throw the football. And, and that's accuracy, that's arm strength-wise. That's uh, Garrett Wilson told us a couple of days ago that, it, that he has an ability to throw, a, I believe he said, a receiver-friendly ball, where basically, you know, yeah, he, he can throw it, you know, the, the 102-mile-per-hour fastball, but if a 95-mile-per-hour a, a one's going to get the job done, we'll do that. You know, make it easy for, for your receiver to catch the ball, and he has the ability to do that. Now, if the Jets' offensive line with Dwayne Brown now in the fold and, and, an, and an inferior line that, that should be, honestly, rival some for, for one of the better in the NFL, if they can 
keep Joe Flacco upright, I think they're going to be in pretty good shape with Flacco under center. The one thing that, that Flacco was at never point in time able to do and is certainly not able to do now as he's gotten significantly older is he can't move. So if that mm-hmm. pocket starts to collapse on him, I mean, that, that's where the Jets are going to potentially have some problems because that's where they lose what they had with Zach Wilson, where if the pocket collapsed on Zach Wilson, there were some free rushers, he was able to get up, move left, move right, extend the play with his legs and still either run for the first down or, or, or at least, you know, like move the pocket from where his back foot drops. With Flacco, when his, when his back foot drops and stops, that's where he's going to be. That's where the pocket's going to be, and it's not going to move. So as long as the Jets can keep him upright, honestly, I think the offense is going to be able to, to, to still perform at a functional level. He's certainly going to be able to keep them afloat because he does still have the ability to throw the rock. And unfortunately, though, that's a bad matchup in week one because Baltimore, you know, you yeah. don't want to be a sitting duck back there as a pocket passer against that no. defense. You, no. they, they could make your life miserable. So at least in the short term, that's a tough week one matchup. But everything you said, I agree with completely. And that's why, you know, I, you look at some of the guys in that huddle, at least even the skill position players, the wide receivers, and a lot of them are young. I mean, you got a lot of first and second year players in there, young guys. They probably have, I would think, just as much confidence in Joe Flacco as they would in Zach Wilson, only because Zach Wilson hasn't even been here all that long and has developed that rapport with a lot of these guys. No, you're, you're, you're right on with that, man. And, and look, I mean, one thing that, that uh, Sal has kind of stressed to us and, and LaFleur has talked to us about is that they're not just, just you know, blowing smoke when, when they come out and they say that, that, they, that they believe that Joe Flacco is an NFL quarterback and that he is still a starting NFL quarterback. I mean, he still absolutely has that talent i think his personality in a way has almost galvanized the, the guys in there i mean he said that he when we talked to joe i think it was last week he actually said how he's embracing the role of i think his words were dorky dad i think was the thing is that you know, people kind of look at him as like the the dad and and all that stuff in the locker room he's embracing it and loving it. you know it's kind of in a way it's keeping him young um but no i mean th- these receivers have the faith in them the the coaching staff has the faith in them and, and i'll be honest with you man it's not just because he's quarterback that they have faith in him. If, if you had asked me the first week and a half, or if you would ask me through OTA's minicamp and maybe the first couple of training camp practices, who the most impressive quarterback was in training camp, the answer was Joe Flacco. Now, now Zach Wilson erased that before he got hurt because the final five, six practices he had going into that preseason opener, he really turned a corner. I mean, his accuracy was back, arm strength. You were starting to see the magic that he can make happen when things break down. But before that step, before that, that that stretch, I mean, Joe was having a hell of a training camp, and, and that earned the respect of his teammates. And a lot of these young guys who were kids when they watched him go and, and win a Super Bowl for the Ravens, I mean, he's this ain't a joke, man. He's the when you loop in Mike Lafleur and, and and Rob Calabrese, the Jets quarterback coach, Flacco's older than both those guys. So I mean, yep. he's got a wealth of information. A lot of these guys remember playing with him when they were playing Madden football and watching him win a Super Bowl. So he absolutely has the respect of of his teammates. Have you gotten – I saw Madden's out today. Have you gotten a chance to play it yet? I know you're a big Madden guy. No, no, I don't – I don't – no. I'm, I'm so – like, people who follow me on Twitter will know this, man. I'm, I'm so annoyed you're done. with that video game lately. Like, it's just – I used to play that every single – I mean, I was – when I was a kid, that was midnight release. I would get my mom to drive me out there and all that stuff. But, no, I haven't played it yet. I'm, I'm kind of boycotting it at the moment just because I haven't been uh, too happy with the way they've ignored franchise mode and some of that other stuff. And – I'll tell you, I mean, dude, we could do a whole whole freaking oh. hour talking about this. But my big complaint is just, like, make the bad teams bad in the game. Amen. Like, when I play a, a really crappy team, I should be able to tell that in the video game and not have every team and every quarterback complete 80% of their passes. That is the, computer, 
the computer artificial intelligence should be reminiscent of the team. That, that was a, a huge problem that I had as well. And I'm a little bit older than you, but you want to talk about like what I always hated about Madden when I was a little bit younger and just like you geeked up for the release date back in the day, like in the, you know, the nineties and stuff, Madden didn't come out till November. So my biggest beef was huh. always the season is like two thirds over. Like, why is the game coming out so late? That used to drive me crazy. Yep. Oh, dude, I then you you were around too. Then when two K five came out, that you got well, that was ESPN. Oh yeah. So so I can, dude. That was that was an uh, you know pretty good little. You know, maybe they can fight their way to get the licensing back. But that was I think the best football game I've ever played. And when they lost the licensing, it was almost like Madden got that. EA Sports got that, and it was just like okay, let's just kind of drag our feet now because we know no one can really compete with us. It's always been frustrating. But like I said, man, I can, I can go on. I, I I'll tell you what, I go on some epic Jets rants every now and then. But, but you get me going on Madden, and I'll never stop. First world problems, definitely. Connor Hughes of SNY joining us here on the Grasses Show, 98.7 ESPN. Let's flip over to the Giants. Now with your uh, new gig, you have to kind of split your time equally. You have to play both sides of the aisle. Um, certainly a little bit of fresh air there with Brian Dayball, first year, first camp, new program. A lot of new players, too, but the guy who is still there is Daniel Jones, and this is kind of put up or shut up for him this year in the eyes of the new regime from what you've seen so far, what do you think about Daniel Jones year number four with this new offense? Yeah, I'm I'm a little I'm a little less high on on the on the Giants this year than I think some people are. And that, now I'll preface this by saying that I think Brian Dable is an A plus hire. I do. I, I think that Brian Dable is going to be a tremendous coach for that organization. Joe Shane, their general manager, I think that was the grand slam of all hires. I mean, you have a guy who understands how to utilize the draft, free agency, the trade market, trained in Buffalo underneath one of the best team builders in the game today. But the the problem with the Giants right now is that that roster and that, that team was basically driven into the ground for four straight years by Dave Gettleman. And the unfortunate aspect of that is the Giants have a lot of premier resources in terms of, of money tied into undervalued positions basically they're they're weak at a lot of places you want to, you don't want to be weak at and they've got money and resources tied into undervalued positions you know when you talk about kenny galladay's contract and some things like that leonard williams's contract as a, as a 34 defensive end so in my opinion my my analysis and my takeaway on daniel jones is that i do genuinely believe that daniel jones can play in the nfl but I think he's somebody, and, and Jordan Ronan, who, who covers the Giants for ESPN, is the one who, who put this one in my head, and I don't think there's a better comparison. He's very similar to Ryan Tannehill, in my opinion, where if you have the good offense you ha- or the good offensive line, you have the playmakers around him, you've got the good coaching staff, Ryan Tannehill can win some football games for you. But when you put the game on Ryan Tannehill's shoulders and say, you need to go win this one for us, I don't know if Ryan Tannehill is going to do that. And I think Daniel Jones is, is in a similar boat where – if he's in a perfect situation, good offensive line, good running back, good receivers, all that stuff, good coaching staff, he can win games for you. But the problem with the Giants is that that offensive line, I know their tackles are good, but the interior of the line, it's, it's troublesome. Their, their receivers, they're great on paper when you look at their names. Kenny Galladay, big name. Kadarius Tony, big name. But Tony's never on the field, and, and Galladay has been pretty much invisible at, at every practice I've been at. So I think the unfortunate part about for the Giants right now and, and Daniel Jones is, is that they are in the – of the rebuilding phase, they are in the cleanup period where, where Shane and Dable are forced right now to clean up Dave Gettleman's mess, and you can't build until you clean, and they're in that cleanup period right now. That's a fair point. Talking with Connor Hughes, SNY here on 98.7 ESPN. Well, let's go with the Ryan Tannehill comparison, which I think is a pretty valid one. We know he has a top-flight running back in Derrick Henry. 
Certainly Saquon Barkley is not as big and strong as Derrick Henry is, but this is also a put-up-or-shut-up year for Saquon. Year number five, coming back from another eh type of season. I thought he showed some good burst, small sample size, and, and regardless of who he was going up against in the preseason game last week, I just thought he looked good. He caught a nice pass, made the corner, burst upfield. We really haven't seen that burst from him, Connor, since he was a rookie. Are you buying Saquon Barkley for 2022? Yeah, I mean, I mean that—that's the one thing actually I, I would say about the Giants' offense is, is I've got legitimate complaint. I, I have legitimate concerns about the the interior of their offensive line, especially some of the injuries that they're dealing with. I don't like their secondary. I think their pass rush has a chance to be good, but I think guys are going to be open so quick that the pass rush is going to have a chance to come home. Like that kind of the receivers, like I said, all names. The one thing that I will say is that Saquon Barkley looks good. I, I mean, he's he's having himself a camp. He's popped some runs where the burst is there. I know he doesn't like, and he got very, very offended when somebody brought up the idea that he dances. Um, he and he, and you know, he's always run north south. He doesn't dance well. From I know this is my first time seeing him, but but he's he's running a lot more north south in, in camp this year than I think he has in his career. So the burst is back, the athleticism's back, the acceleration's back, the big plays back, and he's got a big chip on his shoulder where he's he's ticked off, man. I mean, he's annoyed that people are are using the B word around him in terms of bust that the Giants aren't ready to, to pay him after what he was able to do his rookie year, second year, that, what was it, he, he's had one 100-yard game over the last two seasons or something like that. So he's the one guy that you can tell he's motivated, you can tell he's ticked off, you can tell he's angry, and he's playing like it in training camp, where as long as the Giants can block for him and, and they can keep, possess, keep games within one or two possessions where they don't have to just go to air the ball out and try to come back and things like that, I think Saquon could be in store for a big year because he really is having a hell of a training camp. A lot of eyes, of course, on Thibodeau because he's the first-round pick, certainly a big-name brand coming into the NFL. Um, You know that he's got a lot of flash to his game. And, you know, everything you read is that he's having a really good camp, but that's camp, right? It's not the real deal. You're not going up against other teams. Are they still confident that they're getting the guy that they thought they were selecting and that he is going to be the latest in a long line of really, really good giant pass rushers? Yeah, you know, it's funny, man, because the, the first couple of days I was over there, because I've covered the Jets the last, the last eight years. So right. I tried to make up some ground, you know, once, once I started over at SMY and started going over there. And, and the one number that I was constantly writing down in, in my notebook as far as, oh, there's a pop, oh, that guy popped out, oh, that guy popped out, it was Kayvon. I mean, this, this guy was going, blowing past Andrew Thomas in pads, in no pads. He's making plays in the run. He's making plays in the pass around the quarterback. And, yeah, you know, you don't – you don't know what a sack is in practice because obviously you can't hit the quarterback. You don't know when he's gonna when he's gonna burst around or when he's going to uh, evade the tackler or extend the pocket. You don't know those things. However, there were so many times where I'm like, oh yeah, that's a would be sack for five. Oh, that's a would be sack for five. Oh, that was a would be sack for five. And you know, I reached out to to a couple people that I know over in the building just to see if my eyes were deceiving me or if they're as they're as high on him as as I am after watching him. And the quote I kept getting back was, we're not we're not putting him in the Hall of Fame yet. But we are very, very encouraged by what we've seen so far. So the Giants want to see him in games. They want to see this guy start to play. But, but no, man, he looks, he looks very much like the real deal, in my opinion. And, and every practice I've been there, I, I can, I'll send you pictures of my notebook after this. There's always a couple number five notes written down every time I've been at practice. Well, that's good. I mean, look, I mean, you're a new regime, Joe Shane, Brian Dable. You hit on Thibodeau. You hit on Evan Neal. At least you hope you do. Then you got a pillar on the defensive line. You got a pillar on the offensive line. That's how you build this thing up. You know, building a football team from the inside out, that's a philosophy that a lot of teams put in store there. So we'll see. It's not going to happen overnight, but, you know, step one for the New York football giants, certainly. 
Connor, thanks for a couple of minutes, my friend. Uh, congrats to you again on the new gig over there at SNY. I know you'll do a great job. Will I see you out there at Florham Park again tomorrow? You will. I'll be out there, man. And, and congratulations right back to you for the new show. It, it's awesome. I know I've been catching it. You're doing a great job. Well deserved. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it. I'll see you tomorrow morning. Thanks for hopping on. Talk to you, my man. All right. There's Connor Hughes, SNY Football Insider. A little Jets and Giants talk here on this Friday. Remember, Giants are going to be back at it Sunday night. Jets Monday night. You'll hear the Jet broadcast right here on 98.7. Buttle and myself with the pregame beginning at 7 o'clock. 800-919-3776. We'll get into some of the things that Connor mentioned there with both football teams. Specifically, though, I want to come back and talk about the Jets and Joe Flacco. Because Joe spoke today. We'll share some of the comments that, that he had. But could this almost be a blessing in disguise, at least in the short term, for the New York Jets if Joe Flacco has to play a game or two? And not even so much for him, but for the development of maybe some of these other players. We'll get into it. Dan Grosser Show, 98.7 ESPN. This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. If you're wondering about the baseball teams, well, 3 nothing is the number that you need to know. Unfortunately, it's the reverse. Mets have a 3 nothing lead over the Philadelphia a 4 nothing lead now. Excuse me. I missed that one. Uh, Pete Alonso has a two-run homer. And then Jeff McNeil with an RBI single all in that third inning to extend the lead to four zips. So Chris Bassett has a nice cushion to work with, but it's still only the third inning. So a lot of baseball still to play. Yankees, on the other hand, are down 3 nothing. That one in the top of the fifth against the Blue Jays as Teoscar Hernandez connected on a two-run blast in the fourth off of Jamison Tyone. Tyone hasn't walked anybody, but Jays have teed off pretty good here in the first handful of frames. So we'll keep you posted on the rest of uh, the proceedings out there. Let's talk a little football here. Um, and thanks again to Connor for hopping on. You can check out his stuff over on SNY.TV. Uh, doing a great job uh, covering the NFL and covering the Jets and Giants for our friends over there. So Flacco, I mean, I know the Jets and Robert Sala was talking yesterday about the fact that, you know, Zach Wilson's back, right? He, he had the surgery. He's back in the building. He's walking around and he's healthy and, and, and raring to go and didn't make any promises. But he said as soon as he's healthy, he's going to play. I'm not overly confident on that. And let the record show, I haven't spoken to anybody on the inside, in the know, okay? That's just my gut feeling. If you want to base it off of the timetables that the medical professionals and the doctors and everybody are saying after having a procedure like that, I think that you have to be a little realistic. You're not going to rush Zach Wilson back just because it's week one of the season and then, God forbid, something goes wrong, he suffers a setback, and then he's knocked out for two months or maybe even longer. The goal is to have Zach Wilson play as many games as possible. And I think what would give him the better chance to do that is to not bring him back until that knee is not 100%, until it's like 150%. Because if you remember last year, they were very careful with him when he suffered that PCL sprain in the middle of the season. You know, he missed about four weeks, or was it five? And then there was the buy-in. I think he missed four games but it was five weeks because you had the buy-in between, if I'm not mistaken. And then he was still a little bit rusty there the first game back against the Houston Texans. I mean, they may not even have won that game if they were playing anybody else other than Houston, who wasn't very good. So that's why I think all signs are pointing to Joe Flacco as being the guy who's going to get the start game one against the Baltimore Ravens. As he should. 
And Flacco's a guy who's seen it all. Seen it all, done it all. You don't got to worry about Joe Flacco. He'd been down the road before. The guy is a Super Bowl MVP. Remember the last couple of nights, like when, you know, Eli Manning's came, uh, name came up in our discussions. And, you know, all the Eli Manning backers came out. Because Eli's a two-time Super Bowl MVP. You have faith in him, right? He built up equity. Well, so did Joe Flacco. Got to go in the time machine a little bit, but once upon a time, Joe Flacco was actually the highest paid quarterback in the NFL. It was only like a week, but it was a thing. And Joe did a lot of winning, especially those first six, seven years with the Baltimore Ravens. They were in the playoffs every year. It seemed like they won a playoff game at least every year. The guy would go into Foxborough and beat the Patriots. The guy would go into Denver and beat Peyton Manning. I mean, Flacco was unfazed. Joe Cool. That's the guy you kind of want under center especially if it's going to be for a couple of games. And Joe is ready for this. You know, Joe has spoken that he feels like he is a starting quarterback in the NFL. Robert Salas said that the other day. And that's a good guy to have in your bullpen at a moment's notice. But, you know, I think about some of these other guys on the team, young players. You know, Garrett Wilson we haven't seen yet. He's a rookie. C.J. Uzama's new as a tight end. Tyler Conklin's new. They're veterans, but they're new to the team. Elijah Moore is entering his second season. Joe Flacco had to play last year. Elijah Moore, Elijah Moore benefited. You know, think back to that Miami game that Joe Flacco started. Elijah Moore had himself a pretty good day, a pretty good day. And it seems like that chemistry, that rapport is there. So maybe even for a guy like Elijah Moore, it might not be the worst thing in the world, at least here early in the season, first couple of games, to have Joe Flacco being the guy distributing the football. Joe actually spoke about Elijah Moore earlier today, and he was actually asked if Elijah Moore reminds him of maybe a wide receiver that he played with earlier in his career with Baltimore. Take a listen. In some ways, you know, I think it's Steve Smith just because of how explosive Steve was. And Steve didn't necessarily run routes like everybody else did, but he was always in the right spot. And I think Elijah has some of that in him. He can kind of feel when he's open and you might not always get the same depth or he may run the same route several times, completely different every time. And I think with him, it's just getting, like when I played with Steve, even though he was doing that, he was always in the right spot, always in the right timing. And I think Elijah's there 90% of the time. It's just that last little bit when he's doing those things, getting the feel for being in that right spot every time. Because you know that with a guy like that, with a guy that has his physical abilities, he's going to be a little bit different than everybody else. And you have to let him use those superpowers to his advantage. Elijah Moore also spoke today and almost kind of returned the favor, was asked about what Joe Flacco is like. He's just very calm and, like, nonchalant. A lot of quarterbacks maybe, like, are into it, very energetic, but he's just very controlled and calm. So I feel like when he's in the huddle and he just speaks, he just gives everybody a lot. He's about to go first down or touchdown, so here we go. So having, having him as, like, a swag to it, grateful for sure. Swaggy Joe. Maybe we should start calling him that. Swaggy J. Look, if Joe plays and if Joe lights it up and the Jets are winning football games, he's Swaggy Joe. Tom, we should save that clip for like later in the season or at least into next month. He could be Swaggy Joe. And we'll have to run that by Joe if I see him out, at the, out of practice. I'll say, you know, what do, what do you think about Swaggy Joe? And Joe is, is, is you know, unassuming, calm, cool, and I mean, really, like, you, 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 you got to work to get anything out of Joe. You know, he's just, he's just keeps to himself. He's Joe Cool. But, you know, I'm also thinking, and let me preface this by saying, 
that if the Jets want to ultimately reach new heights, heights that they haven't reached in forever, long-term, Zach Wilson's got to be the guy. Does he not? He has got to be that guy. Everything that they thought they were getting with the second overall pick in the draft, it has to be Zach Wilson. Because I think that's going to maximize the ability and the potential of this offense. Remember, they drafted Zach Wilson not only because they thought he was the best quarterback available not named Trevor Lawrence, they also thought that he was the best fit for this system that they were implementing under Mike LaFleur, that Shanahan West Coast offense. They thought that he would be tailor-made for it. But I was thinking about past history with the Jets. And I don't want to get crazy, and, and, and believe me, don't run with these and say that, you know, I'm definitively saying this is going to happen. I'm just throwing out a theory. But 24 years ago, went into the season in 1998 under Bill Parcells. Glenn Foley was the starting quarterback. Glenn Foley was in his, you know, third or fourth year. He had kind of had mop-up duty the first couple of seasons. Late-round pick out of Boston College. Then in 1997, Bill Parcells went to the bullpen a few times for Glenn Foley in relief of Neil O'Donnell in games to spark the Jets, and he pulled out a couple of victories. And then Glenn Foley actually started a couple of games for the Jets, and then he got injured, and then O'Donnell got the job back. But 1998 happened, O'Donnell was gone, and they turned the reins over to Glenn Foley. Young guy, he was going to enter the season as a starter for the first time in his career. And they signed a veteran quarterback who seemed a little, you know, long in the tooth. Also played for the Baltimore Ravens right before the Jets. And that was Vinny Testaverde. Glenn Foley started the first two games. Jets lost both games. They were 0-2. And then Bill Parcells and, or, and Foley got hurt again. Then Bill Parcells had to start Testaverde. Testaverde played great in the third game of the season. They beat the you-know-what out of Peyton Manning and the Colts at the Meadowlands. Manning was a rookie. And then they beat the Miami Dolphins the next week. Big division win with Testaverde. So they're 2-0 with Testaverde. Then Foley's healthy enough, and Parcells decides to go back to the kid, and they went to St. Louis to play the Rams. They lose that game, and they drop to 2-3. and three. And then Parcells said, you know what? I had enough. I'm going back to Testaverde. The rest is history. They go to the AFC Championship game. Not saying that history is going to repeat itself, but point being, and the lesson that I'm all trying to teach here, is that having a veteran, having a guy with some experience in the right place at the right time could pay dividends for you. So I wouldn't write anything off and make any, you know, harsh judgments just yet. Let's see how this thing plays itself out, certainly at least the first three, four weeks of the season. Your thoughts, 800-919-3776, that is the telephone number. But big picture-wise, when you look at the Jets and the Giants going into the upcoming season, we all have our ideas about what we think they're going to do and how they're going to end up. What about some of the national folks, and specifically a writer from ESPN who wrote a piece today chronicling the talent levels of each of the 32 teams. Broke it down by position. What does he think about the Giants and Jets and where they stack up in terms of skill? We'll get into that, see if we agree or disagree. Dan Gross until 10. It's the Grasso Show, 98.7 ESPN. 
This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. You know, when you can stream live sports and original content with ESPN Plus today, you get access to the award-winning 30 for 30 library, unrivaled UFC access, including exclusive pay-per-views, including UFC 278 this Saturday, where Kamaru Usman puts his 19-fight streak and his welterweight title on the line against Leon Edwards. New and current subscribers will receive $20 off the pay-per-view price for UFC 278. So stream anytime, anywhere. Go to ESPNNewYorkBundle.com to learn more. Among the other things you get with the bundle is you get access to all the great content on ESPN.com, all those ESPN Plus articles, which, look, I, I get it. You know, the world we live in right now, everybody's out to make a buck. So this is good content. You know, they want to be compensated for it. There's nothing wrong with that there. Um, and, and we'll get to that in a second here because I think you'll find it interesting. Mike Clay, who does a good job, one of the NFL writers on ESPN, he sat there and he ranked each and every team in the NFL, position by position, where each position ranked among the other teams in the league. And then he took overall and rated the talent level of all 32 teams. So he has the Giants 28th overall in the National Football League. The only teams he has less skilled than the Giants, Seattle at 29, Chicago at 30, Atlanta at 31, and Houston at 32. Um, I don't know if I agree with that, to be quite honest with you. I think the Giants might be a little bit better than that. He's got Jacksonville. See, you look at Jacksonville is like always the punching bag. Jacksonville is 24. See, the problem is, is that Jacksonville, they got the new coach in Doug Peterson. Maybe they, you know, they have an adult now actually running the team. They went out and spent a boatload of money in the offseason. I, I mean, like the money was like burning a hole in Shad Khan's pocket. But it doesn't always mean it's money well spent. That's the difference. Like, did you see the contract? Remember the contract that they gave to Christian Kirk? The wide receiver from that, that was with the Cardinals, I, I mean, that was like you, you fall off the couch. That is going to be one of the worst contracts maybe in, in, in recent NFL lore, what the Jaguars gave to him. So I, I, I'm not going to get here and, and, and be seduced by what Jacksonville did talent-wise just because they spent a lot of money. So I, I wouldn't get too carried away, but, you know, the Giants are probably, you know, in that ballpark. Jets aren't much higher. He's got the Jets at 23 overall. One spot ahead of the Jaguars, ironically enough. So as far as the NFL, or the NFC is concerned, he says the Giants are one, two, three, the fourth least talented team in the conference. Jets, meantime, one, two, three, four, also has them as the fourth least talented team in the AFC. Jacksonville, Pittsburgh, Houston, less talent than the Jets. Jets are a better team on paper. They are. I mean, it's obvious. From last year to this year, it's night and day. But you got to go out there and prove it, right? You got to go out there and, and actually start to win games. Otherwise, the expectations are going to be as low universally for this club. And they haven't won in a while. So the jury is still out. And I think that a lot of people are still skeptical until they go out there and start to produce and start to put good seasons together. 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number. Let us say hi to Anthony in the mail truck. He is up next here on the Dan Grosser Show, 98.7 ESPN. Anthony, how are you? Dan, what's going on, brother? 
How are you? Anthony, things are good. What's up? Good. Uh, congratulations on the show again, by the way. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Of course. Um, so I am coming from a biased uh, Dallas Cowboys fan. Um, but all I'm hoping for this season, Dan, is um, Daniel Jones to go 7-10. and 10. Giants give him a contract. Give the turnover machine <laughs> a uh, – a few few more years, and uh, you know, and away we go. I just so I, so so I, I here's he here's what a, Anthony wants. Here's yeah. what Anthony wants. Speaking for Cowboy Nation, he wants Daniel Jones to be functional this year. That's that's the kind word Correct. I'll use. He wants him to be functional, but he wants him to be just good enough to where he would maybe convince the giant brass to bring him back again next year. And then just keep kind of maybe mediocrity in tow for another season or two for the Giants. That's what you want, right? I I honestly, Dan, I couldn't have said it better myself. There you go. And before you let me go, how about Joe Klecko making it to the Hall of Fame, man? So, so well-deserved. And, and, you know, it makes me so happy that that he finally got in. Dan, have a great night, man. Let me me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question real quick. Real quick. Yeah. Talk to me about your team. Forget about the Giants for a second. Talk to me about the Cowboys. What is what is the optimistic slant on the Cowboys this year? Are, are they finally going to put something together or what? So I'm I'm not really worried about the Eagles as much as uh, everyone is is, uh, is high on them. I I don't think Jan, uh, Jalen Hurts is a uh, a great quarterback, um, and I don't think he's a franchise quarterback. And I think that they're gonna. Um, they have two first-rounders this upcoming season, so, you know, they're going to, I feel like, get their quarterback for the future. Um, but for the Cowboys, I, I don't know. I, I, I have a lot more – I had a lot more optimism last year than I do this year. Um, losing Amari Cooper was huge. Um, losing Randy Gregory doesn't hurt that bad, but they're going to double-team DeMarcus Lawrence a lot more. Um, you know, I just I – like, I feel like our defense – we have our stud in Micah Parsons. He is an absolute stud. Yep. And um, we took uh, Devontae Smith away from the Giants. So, honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm all for it, Dan. Anthony, good phone call. Get back to us soon. Have a good weekend. Uh, look, the Cowboys, I like – I mean, how do you not like their offense, right? I, I mean, their offense, that's not a problem. Defensively, like Anthony said – Parsons is a terror off the edge. Demarcus Lawrence, when he's on the field, you know that he's a problem on that defensive line. Um, Trayvon Diggs is, I think, a little overrated in that secondary. You know, you can't you can't judge guys, you know, corners especially by interceptions. You, you can't. You know, there was a guy who used to play for the Jets once upon a time back in the 90s, and then he, you know, he bounced around. He was like an eagle. He was a Jet. He was a – then he went to the Patriots. But remember Otis Smith, the corner? Otis Smith used to get like five, six interceptions a year. He'd be among like the leaders on the team and sometimes even like the leaders in the league because quarterbacks sometimes just make mistakes. It's not like he was making like unbelievable breaks on the ball. Sometimes quarterback makes a mistake, and it, and it lands right in the guy's lap, and he picks it off. You also get a lot of interceptions when the quarterback is throwing the ball your way often too, right? 
not afraid to throw in your direction. Darrell Revis didn't have as many interceptions as maybe some of his other contemporaries at the time playing corner because nobody wanted to throw the ball near Revis. Can't pick it off if it's not anywhere near you. And Trayvon Diggs, like, he gets a lot of picks, but, I mean, like, Trayvon Diggs, I don't think is, like, a lockdown, shutdown corner. He really isn't. You know, you go watch the tape. Like, wide receivers, you know, you could get a step or two on him. I think the other issue with the Cowboys, if we're sitting here being honest with each other, the guy picking the players is way past his prime, you know? He's way past his expiration date. Like that, you open the refrigerator, that milk is spoiled already. Talking about Jerry Jones. And the head coach, I used to like the head coach. When he was out there and the Jets were looking for a head coach a couple of years ago, like, that's the guy I kind of wanted. And they went in a different direction. And we've seen Mike McCarthy the last couple of years in Dallas. And last year in that playoff game, I mean – Heavens, let's dial up a quarterback sneak <laughs> with no timeouts. Oh, my gosh. This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. <laughs> 4 nothing Mets leading the Phils in the fifth inning. Blue Jays have a 3 nothing lead on the Yankees in the sixth. The book is closed on one. Jamison Tyone goes five innings, three runs. 5Ks a home run. Eh, not good. Not awful, but not good enough tonight is basically all you could say. Now Lou Trevino in to try to mop up a little bit there and uh, to keep things at bay. Toronto, on the other hand, um, getting the two, big two-run home run from Teoscar Hernandez. I mean, this is, this is Toronto who's dangerous, as you know, and it's a team that has ability and has talent, and that's what's scary. And if they win this game and if they hang on, I mean, look, Blue Jays are within eight of the Yankees in that division. Tampa, on the other hand, because they're also tied with Toronto right now, they're tied at two with Kansas City in the sixth. Mets just tack on another one, so that's 5 nothing. They lead the Philadelphia Phillies uh, in the fifth inning. And Tom, uh, our producer, alerted me while we were in the break. Our friends in Massapequa playing in the Little League World Series, they are having a tough time. They are losing right now. And I don't say this with any cheer or, or any pleasure. Why should I? I have no skin in the game. Uh, they're losing to Hawaii 12, and the game's over. It says final five innings. They got no, did they get no hit? They got no hit 12 nothing. Did they call the game because of mercy rule? Like, do they have that in the Little League World Series? Yes, mercy rule. Oh, I feel bad for those kids. But they're not done, right? It's double elimination, so they're not done yet. But that's how it always was when I was in Little League. Like, if you were down by, you know, if, if it was nine or ten runs or whatever, they, you know, they called off the dogs. That stinks. Ugh. And they were no hit. Well, hopefully they regroup. You know, maybe this is going to be like a uh, rags to riches story. They have the tough game. They come back, and maybe this sparks them a little bit. That's what you'd like to see happen. Uh, Subi in Midtown. He is up next here on the Dan Grosser Show, 98.7 ESPN. Subi, what's going on? Hey, what's up, Dan? I was thinking, you know, with the first four or five games with the Jets, I know the first game will be tough. But that second game with Deshaun Watson not being with the Browns, I think that's not – it's close to must win for the Jets. Because Got to go win the game. Got to go win the game. Got to go win that game. And not only that, I mean, if, the, if Salah – I love Salah, but if his defense isn't in the top 15 with all that crowded um, defensive corners, I think there's going to be a problem because now they got Sauce Gardner. 
Sauce Gardner can add pressure too. They didn't have that last year. So at the end of the day, I want to see this four, first four or five games, even two wins out of that. You can't go 0-4 and 0-5. That's going to be pretty terrible. Now, let's see how Joe Flacco plays. I think it's a blessing in disguise. Zach Wilson, if he threw more than four interceptions in either of those games, first two, it would have been a big problem. That's all I got to say. Uh, I, I, listen, Subi, every, what you said, I cannot disagree. Cannot. I've been saying all along, and I'm going to keep saying it until we kick this season off and we get through that first quarter of the season, Jets, you would sign up for, and I don't think it's unrealistic either. You take two and two out of those first four weeks. 